All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Proverbs chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Some of the things that are going to be coming up here um, tea night next uh, Sunday, September 24th, 5 to 8. Join us for a bonfire and a hayride and God's Word. And it'll be a good time. Life Chain, October 1st, 2 to 3. We'll meet at the Nottaway County Courthouse at 145 to hand out signs and to pray before we stand for uh, stand against abortion and for life. So join us for that if you can plan on that after second service. October 8th, the next Sunday after that, we'll be having our potluck with fried chicken from Hy-Vee and some chicken strips and uh, bring a side that kind of goes along with that. Cheesy potatoes, I think, go really well with that. See, there's got to be some benefit to being up here. I, I, I kind of make some requests once in a while. And I think, oh, men's breakfast, October 21st, 8 a.m. Well, it's a Saturday. Join us for that. Invite your friends if you'd like. And that's it. All right. While we were worshiping, I got the sense I need to pray for you guys. And uh, not that I don't normally, but uh, this morning so that God's word can penetrate our hearts. I think it's real important we invite the Lord in here. Uh, so I'll, I'll do that. Lord, I just, uh, I pray over these people. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that this room would be set aside for you and you only, that your Holy Spirit would rule and reign over this service and over your word, and that it would get into our hearts. Uh, Many people are going through um, health issues, Lord, whether that's in their own lives or whether that's in lives of the loved ones around them, and we pray for them. We lift them up to you. We pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray for wisdom and direction and comfort and peace during this time. We invite you into this a dramatic situation in our lives, God, when it comes to health. Lord, I lift up personal relationships to you, God, things that are weighing on people's hearts, whether that's between a child and, and, a, and a parent, or whether that's between uh, parents, <laughs> married couples, or, or single people, loneliness, whatever it may be, God, I pray for uh, your peace to rule and reign in these areas, God. Um, Lord, we pray for financial situations where people are maybe to feel like they're drowning, God. I pray that uh, we lift that up to you and, and pray that you'd cover over those things and provide for these folks and, and take care of them and give them a peace knowing that you will take care of them. Maybe at the last hour, but um, you, will, you will take care of them like you take care of sparrows. And, and you're very watchful and your eye is on us. Um, Lord, there are many things that we could pray for right now. Many things that can be oppressing us, things that are just overwhelming us, problems that are either chronic or consistent or long-lasting uh, Uh, We pray for these things and lift them up to you, God, that our hearts might be refreshed this morning by your word and that we might have peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Chapter 7, as I promised, seems to be Solomon's last uh, talking about sexual sins and things, and so... Um, this will be it today. It's, I've got several cross-references that we may or may not get to, but I will put them if I don't read them, go through them, because one of them is the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, which is a lot to read. Um, I will put it in the footnote, though, or in the, in the Facebook uh, comments so that you can look up the notes and everything if you, if you need to. But um, the, the, the writer here says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. 
Say, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. When God says here in this, and you do have to, although it is the writer Solomon, it is the Holy Spirit writing these things. We don't want to ever forget that. And uh, he mentions there that keep my law as the apple of your eye. And there's a reason for that. Um, The reason he wants us to keep his wisdom for us as the apple of his eye is because we're his apple of his eye. He keeps his eye on us. It's a funny phrase. Maybe we don't use it as often as we, as we used to back in the day, the apple of my eye. It just means that glimmer. Like if you're in art class and you're drawing the eyeball and you, and you leave the white spot, you know, that's the glint, you know. It gives it a little life, a little sparkle in your, in your drawing. Well, when you look at somebody else's eye, they have that, and that is how God sees you. That's how he sees me. He has that little glint. You're the focus. If you looked into his eyes, you'd see your reflection is the idea. And so God is asking us and telling us, encouraging us in his word there. I want my word, I want to see it reflected. I want to see that in your life. It's in Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 10, where he's speaking of Jacob, but speaking of Israel, since Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. For the Lord's portion, his portion, his, his inheritance is his people. Jacob. Jacob is in the place of his inheritance. He found him in the desert land, in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And he feels the same towards us as believers. Now, we say the Old Testament, the Father is married to Israel, and in the New Testament, Jesus is married to the church, the bride. So it does, it does translate for us. I love how he finds him in nowhere land, in, in a place where you don't have sustenance, life, protection in the middle of the desert. But I encircled them. I provided for them. I brought them water, food every single day, and I, I was a light to them at night, and I was a guide to them in the daytime with the pillar of smoke, and I was the one that protected them from the enemy. This, this wisdom we're receiving in Proverbs this morning is for that. It's for all of those things. It's for light. It's for guidance. It's for protection. And he just wants us to understand that. And so as I keep you as the apple of my eye, the Father would say, please keep my word as the apple of your eye. Let that be what's reflected in your life. Verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black, in the dark night, and there a woman met him with an attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. It's interesting that the writer and this young man know where her house is. Make no mistake about it. The old man knows just as well as the young man. The old man's learned to steer clear of it. But he is looking through the lattice of his home. He's on his rooftop, and he's looking down at her house. And who, know what, who knows why he's doing that, except he does notice this young guy going there. He uses the word devoid of understanding. I think that's a good word. It says there's a little a number two next to it. It says it could be translated lacking understanding, but devoid seems to have a more powerful uh, 
definition for me anyway. It helps me understand. It's like he could have it, but he's devoid of it. It's not ignorance. It's not oops. It's he's devoid of understanding. You, you get the idea. And as he watches this happen, watches this unfold, and of course it's always easier to watch things unfold in other people's lives. I understand that myself. It's easy to watch people head towards the cliff. Not easy, but it's easier to perceive they're heading towards a cliff than it is for the person running towards the cliff. He sees this kid. You're going down the wrong street, young man. We talked about this last week. You shouldn't even be in this part of town. There's a million streets you could have taken to the destination you're going to, but you knew that this street went by her house. Maybe curiosity. Who knows? There's the harlot. I wonder if she's out today. I wonder if she's, you know, I don't know if any of you stalked boyfriends or girlfriends in high school driving by their parents' house, you know, seeing if they're home, seeing if they're out, looking for their car in a parking lot. Maybe you still do that now. I don't know. That's the idea of this. Except she has no good intentions towards him. She has nothing to offer him except harm. Later on, we're going to discover just death is all she has to offer. He says it's done in verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black, in the dark of night, which reminded me of John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. As Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus the need to be born again, and you must be born again, and you can't get to heaven unless you're born again. Going to church, having a Bible, knowing of Jesus, knowing that there was a historical figure named Jesus, believing that Jesus is the Son of God even but not applying him to your life, not applying him to your sin, not realizing he died on the cross for your sins. This is the problem with Nicodemus. He's a very religious man. He understood he's supposed to go to synagogue. He's supposed to go to the temple to offer the sacrifices. He was living an upright life. And Jesus says, no, you you don't understand. You've been born of water. You need to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again. And so as he carries on through this explanation to Nicodemus, he says this, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Sin loves darkness. It just does. It loves secrecy. It loves to be done at night when facial features are not as recognizable, when you could go unnoticed. Anonymity. Sin loves anonymity. And he notices that. That's when this kid goes by her house. It's at night, in the black and the dark of night. That's why we have to have all the sodium lights or whatever they use now. I suppose they're using more LEDs. Have you seen the new blue, the weird purple LEDs when you go into the bigger cities by the overpasses and underpasses? It's really strange. I don't like them. (laughs) They probably work really well as far as light pollution and all, but I don't like them. There's a reason we have to have those things. We have to light up the dark places. We like to light up the parking lots and things like that so people feel safe because that's where criminals thrive. That's where sin breeds. And he notices this. It's important we have light in our lives. It's important, you know, as a parent, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or whatever it is, the number that you picked. Nothing good happens. And and that's almost an absolute certainty. I would say. It's, if we're going to write another proverb, Proverb 32, that, it can be a short and sweet one to your kids. Nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Come home. The only thing you're going to happen is you're going to get into trouble after that. It's true. There's not a lot going on after then. 
We need light. Not only should we you know, be careful about what we're doing at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., or even being out at that time. We need light in our lives. We need to remove that anonymity. The first thing we need to do is bring Scripture into our hearts. It's very important. It's the most important thing you can do is to bring God's Word into your heart. Let it come into your eye gate. Let it go into your mind. And may it settle in our hearts and change us from the inside out. I was talking to a brother right before the service here, and he says it was interesting. He was feeling oppressed and, and, and all. And when he was told by his wife that there are many people praying for you, there was a peace that came over him. There is something about bringing or inviting God, which is thus the prayer this morning, bringing God into your situations, either verbally, out loud in prayer, or when you're talking to a brother or sister in the Lord, bring him into the conversation. When you bring that light in, the conversation changes from what it could have been to what it should be, first of all. It also changes your perception of the situation that you're in. Whether that's a sickness or a hardship of any kind, a trial, a tribulation, bringing God into it doesn't necessarily make it go away, obviously, but it does bring peace and it brings someone larger than you. You know, I was thinking about sickness. There's a lot of people going through sicknesses, illnesses, terminal in some cases, you know, months to live, years to live, maybe. And how isolating that must feel to them. I can't help but feel that empathy. I don't, there's nothing I can do about it. Everybody's well-meaning. I'm here for you. I want to do things for you. I'm praying for you. You say all the things you want to say to bring them comfort. But when it comes down to it, it's them in this sickness and their God. And everybody else observing and doing their best and loving on them as much as they can. But it's a very isolating thing that takes place in their hearts. Except for the one, Jesus Christ. Somehow or another, I mean, I know how, but... Bringing him in breaks through all of that. You no longer feel alone in the situation. He truly comes in and deals with you and him, and he knows that, and there's comfort that can be had that other people can't bring in. They can pray for you. They can love on you. They can do all the things that we can do. We can bring you a meal, even. And that helps us deal with it, too, because we're dealing with it in, in a way. But when it comes to the isolation, when it comes to the loneliness, when it comes to the just you and the sickness, it's Jesus that comes in and changes that and makes you feel, oh, here we go. Holding his hand into eternity or through the sickness is just so wonderful. Such a blessing. Now, I say all that. Bring light into your life was the point. Bring it in. Um, darkness breeds mystery. Mystery brings fear. It just does. That's one of the things I learned from Jenny. I, I don't. She just can articulate saying some, some, sometimes to me that it's just like, oh, yeah. I knew it intuitively, but I couldn't verbalize it. When she does, it's like, oh, yeah. She goes, it's just, it's just, it's just fear. And then fear comes from not knowing. It's just a mystery. And when you take away the mystery, when you have knowledge, when you can see, when you have light on something, it takes it all away. Everybody knows that when they go down to the basement. Nobody likes coming back up the stairs from the basement with the light off. I don't care how old you are. It's like there's claws in the back of my head, and I'm just getting up the stairs as fast as I can, you know. There's nothing there. I know that. I'm a 53-year-old man. I know there's no monsters. There's no such thing down there, but something about that light going off, (laughs) let's go. 
I don't like standing next to beds in a dark room. I don't know why that is. I'm not a child. That just feet, I need to get into the bed. <laughs> but the light's on. When the light's on, there's no fear, you know? Bring light into your life. Bring light into your marriage. Bring light into your relationship with your children. Bring God, bring Jesus into all of these things. Bring him in. You have to invite him in. You have to bring him in because we're the ones pushing him away. We have to let him. I stand at the door and I knock, he says. I do not kick it open. I don't force myself into your home, into your life, into your problems, into your situations. I stand at the door and I knock. Open so we can sup together, eat together, fellowship together. Open. Verse 11. She was loud, this harlot, and rebellious. Her feet would not stay home or stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him, this young man, and kissed him. With an impudent face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows, so I come out to meet you. Diligently to seek your face, I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestries, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will not or will come home on the appointed day. And the message here is you never leave your wife home alone, I think. No, of course not. She's thought this through, hasn't she? She's just waiting for him to leave. It's all set. I've prepared. Now, do you think she was really preparing for him or anyone? I say anyone. I don't know that she was looking for him. Although they know each other, don't they? They've caught each, other eye, caught each other's eye at different times in their lives. Who knows whether they've had conversations or not, because she does say, I've recognized your face. I've been looking for you and you alone. Now, it could have been any of the other people she's caught her eye with, but tonight it's him. A very strange story to read. But I wonder how common it is, unfortunately. It seems to be. Military was a horrible place for this. Horrible place for this. Deployments are long. Six-month deployments. I remember our sergeant over in, uh, when we were there the first time, um, he got a letter from his wife, and he was done. And I, and I watched this man who was our leader. He was our, you know, we had three sergeants, and we, had a, we were pretty top-heavy as far as NCOs go, but... We had three of them, and he was a very strong leader, very uh, uh, understanding. You know, it's rare to find that combination sometimes. Understanding guy, but authoritative, not authoritarian, just a really good leader. And to watch uh, him get that letter, or at least I didn't see him get the letter, the results of it as he had to ask to go home to deal with the matter, to finalize and all that. I, I watched him crumble, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. This giant of a man, you know, just crumble, you know. Heartbreaking thing to watch. And as a young kid, you really didn't get it because you weren't married yet. You didn't understand the situation. You're looking at this guy going, man, that's a bummer. And then you think, well, here's what I'd do, you know, dumb things. But 
decades later, you think it through and like, what a absolutely horrible situation to go through, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away from home, knowing that while you're gone serving, not having a good time, she had laid her bed with tapestries and perfumed her bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon and so on. Horrible situation. The scripture I came up with for this, and I, and I, and I hope you understand that the, the reason I bring these up is not to pick on women, but this is about a harlot. And so this is for the men and young men who haven't found a wife yet. You're looking for this one, 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you're a woman who is maybe not where you think you should be and you think you need to be closer to God or have a different character or have some traits changed by the Lord, this is a good section of Scripture for you as well. And it's for all of us, actually. Because if he likes this in a wife or in a woman, he likes this in men too, honestly. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some men, husbands, do not obey the word, they, without a word, these men, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And here's the conduct that will win a lost husband. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, when they see that, do not let your adornment be merely outward, as he describes this woman in Proverbs, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. And he's not saying that you can't do that. Don't let that be what attracts men or a husband. Rather, Let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty. In other words, it won't get wrinkles and saggy of a heart, of the heart, with an incorruptible beauty that of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And I, that's where I say, if that's present in the sight of God, that's pleasant for all of us, a gentle, quiet spirit. It's just a, it's an asset. It helps people hear you. Honestly, people can receive help from a gentle, quiet spirit. It's hard to receive help from a loud, boisterous person. Anybody, any sex makes no difference. But this is what's beautiful. So when it describes this woman as she was loud and rebellious and her feet would not stay at home, at times she would go outside in the open square lurking at every corner, she doesn't have a task. She's not running an errand. She's just looking. She's bored. She gets out to do these things. Not that you have to stay home all the time, but she couldn't stay home. (laughs) Made her cringe. She had to go see what everybody's doing and see if the, were the men noticing. Because at home, this is wasted, you know. All this beauty, all this, whatever I've got. But people need to see this, you know. God says, no, I'm looking for a gentle, quiet spirit. This is very precious in the sight of God. Can you imagine getting information like that? What a blessing that is that our Father says, I want you to know what I think is very precious, what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a gentle, quiet spirit. That's so precious to me. Oh. (laughs) For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive, to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. 
an amazing thing, you know. Jenny's going to start calling me Lord now. <laughs> no, she says it in other ways, though. She lets me lead. She trusts me. Uh, a person can go on the path God's leading them to go, but the following is completely a choice. Nothing you can do. You can't drive your wife down the road, you know, like you would a cow or anything else. You've got to walk and lead. And as the person that she is, as the individual that she is, as the soul spirit that she is, she has to choose to do that, to follow. I think about the journey sometimes that, that honestly, God has taken us on. I followed him and Jenny has followed along, you know, and what a, what a testimony that is. Not hearing directly necessarily from God, getting encouragement from God at times, I'm sure, hitting, getting a word of, of knowledge, uh, a confirmation, uh, something or other, but truly trusting you're hearing from God. I mean, coming here, <laughs> we're moving to Maryville. You know, okay. That's amazing. It's very precious in the sight of the Lord. We see the opposite here in this proverb. She was loud. She was rebellious. She couldn't stay at home. She had to go outside in the open square lurking. And she caught and kissed him with impudence. I've been looking for you. Talks him into it. I've prepared everything for this moment. This is it. Uh, the thing that people ask me about when we come across this is, I have peace offerings with me today. I've paid my vows. What does that mean? Well, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4, helps us anyway. Then David sent messengers to Bathsheba and took her, and she came to him. He lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. So the idea is that regular time of the month has passed. It was time for Bathsheba to go ahead and she was available for David. Likewise, this woman is saying, I've paid my vows here. I've done my offerings. My time of impurity is over. I'm, I'm clean, which I have to bring up because it's so strange, isn't it? I have followed the law of God. My religious duties are fulfilled for me to now commit adultery. What a strange Dichotomy, is that the right word for it? What a strange twist of events. And that made sense to her. I'm following along with the ways of the Lord. I'm doing what I went to the temple. I offered up my offerings, and now I'm free and available. How does that make sense? But it does to her. It does to a lot of people. In a lot of different ways. I've done my religious duty almost like an indulgence of old. I can now do this over here. Because I've done this and I've fulfilled my vow, and whatever that vow is, we don't do sacrifices anymore, but you could fill in the blank. I've done the religious thing that I'm supposed to do, the law, and now that frees me up to do this. It's, it's a balancing act for some people. For all of us, I suppose, at different times, I, I, I have every right or I've earned or whatever it is that we argue in our mind over, this, this sin is, is okay or I'm different or I'm special or my circumstances don't apply here or whatever. What a strange thing. But there it is. 
She kissed him and then said, I've offered my peace offerings. I'm available. I've paid my vows. You can read about that law in Leviticus 15. I won't read it to you. Later on in this section that we just read, verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Is that what they're going to experience that night? There's different kinds of love in the Greek. Eros is probably what she's talking about, that physical lust, we would call it. But don't mistake that for love. That isn't love. Lust is a completely different thing. Let me give you an example of this. This is kind of a strange cross-reference, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's in Ezekiel 23. Beginning in verse 5, Ezekiel is describing um, Israel in its two forms, basically. And he calls Israel, or Samaria, Ahola. Okay, so Ahola played the harlot even though she was mine. So this group of people that are mine, the Lord says, has now gone off to commit harlotry or to commit adultery against me. And she lusted, and this is the point, for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them described or desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted. With all their idols, she defiled herself. She was she has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt. It's a strange cross-reference, I know, but sometimes we'll get caught up with the, well, I haven't committed adultery, good for me. He's talking about something, it can be in spiritual adulteries, so prevalent. And there's something about uh, just that wandering eye. Jesus has saved me, and he's my Lord and Savior, and he's my husband. And uh, the, the word of, I love this one, the word of God is the final authority in my life. Is it? <laughs> I see a lot of people bypassing scripture, thinking that they're above it and beyond it. And they have a wandering eye, and they see that over there, and this Assyrian, whatever it is, with their, oh, it looks so great, and their idols and their things, and they commit harlotry with that because, see, I'm, I'm watching men of God today start to do that. It, it's always happened. I'm just recognizing it, maybe seeing it more and more, where Christianity's become dull and boring and mundane to them. It's the same thing. And all I can think of is the manna story. We loathe this worthless bread. Even though it was the provision by God to provide everything they had need of that day, they, got, they loathe this bread. They boiled it. They baked it. They spiced it up as much as they can. But the, and they, oh, we miss the leeks and the onions of Egypt. The melons. Remember the melons? Do you remember the whips on your back? Do you remember having to throw your babies into the Nile? Yeah, but the leeks, the onions, and the melons. And for some reason, that made sense to them. We should go back. What are you talking about? Can you imagine being God, looking down on that, saying, why are you going back to the world that I delivered you from? You asked me for 400 years to get you out of there. I did it with a strong and mighty hand. I mean, the 10 plagues, they'll be talking about that forever. And you want to go back for some vegetables and a fruit? How strange that is. It must feel really odd to him to watch that take place. But it happens today. I'm watching Christian men who've been following Christianity and walking with the Lord for so long, but they're tired of saying Jesus loves you. And they're going for rituals now. They're going back. And this has happened. And the church goes, it's like a pendulum. It just swings back and forth. Too free, too legalistic, 
too free. You know, just they can't find the center. But now they're thinking, oh, we need this ritual or that ritual to bring us closer. And what they're looking for is I need some spice added to it. Egypt has never left. Verse 8, she has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt. You brought that out with you. You brought the world into your saving relationship with Jesus, and you've never left it behind. It's there. And when you're bored, boy, it looks good to you, you know. Interesting. Now, 1 Corinthians, I do have time, so I'm going to read it to you. Because we've talked about lust. We've talked about the wandering eye. We've talked about things that spice things up in our normally mundane walk with Jesus, I guess. It doesn't have to be, by the way. Radically saved leads to a radical path with Jesus, by the way. 1 Corinthians 13, this is what love is. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith even. Yeah, I get caught up with the, yeah, they study too much. No, they have all faith too, but without the Holy Spirit, without love, so that I could remove mountains. You could tell a mountain to move, but have not love. I am nothing. Can you imagine standing there? I'm a man of God. I can move mountains. Wow. In God's eyes, you're still nothing because you don't have the love associated with that power. The power is nothing compared to the love that you need to have. It's nothing. I'd rather you have the love than the mountain moving. You know, your landscape guy, that's handy. But otherwise, it's worthless without love. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Has anybody, and I better be careful because I don't want to disparage a normal nonprofit that's actually a good thing, but there's a secular version of what the church does so that you don't have to have God involved at all. It's just a good person helping other people out. And I'm not sure the name of it, so I won't even say it because I don't want to be wrong on that. Be careful. But I think I drove by their headquarters yesterday. We were coming back from Kansas City. I went, oh, there's that thing, you know. And they're trying to do what's built in. I need to do something. I need to serve. I need to help people. But I don't want that God portion of it. And so they've developed this organization, this nonprofit, where you could do it without any of that religious garbage. It reminded me of this. There's no love. There's notoriety. We pulled up to the stop sign off the highway. Uh going to the farm store down in St. Joe. And I see this gigantic sign across the road from me as we're pulled up off the, on the off-ramp, and there's the road that we're trying to get on. And someone had planted four trees, God bless them, in the, in the median. And there's this giant sign that says, Helping St. Joe Grow, and listed the four people that planted the four trees. And I couldn't even see the trees past the sign. And <laughs> I was in one of those moods. So, of course, I told everybody in the car, would you look at that? You know, Can we do something without a plaque? Can we just plant a tree because we like trees and think it's pretty without having to plaster our name on it? You know, there's this giant sign. It was bigger than all the trees. I mean, whoop-dee-doo, it was a $150 tree, and you got a sign that costs $200 to make, you know? 
Noivé. Notoriety, but without love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not talk about signs on the road when they see him in St. Joe. Sorry, I see it, I hear it. <laughs> love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's not what this woman says we're going to drink deep of. None of this. She means lust. It will be temporary, and it will be regretted. It will be regretted afterwards. Verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Didn't even realize it. Interesting turn of events. Some say the guy came home early. Caught him with an arrow. Maybe. I think it's something more long-lasting and maybe a slower death. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I, I take exception to the fact that... Uh, she caused him. Nobody causes anybody, do they? This is a willful choice. But her speech in his weakened state was enough to put him over the edge to make the commitment to go in. I was going to walk by. It was her kiss and her speech that talked me into doing what I kind of hoped that had happened. You know, She didn't cause it, but the stars aligned, you know, so to speak. Um... I'm going to take you to a passage here. Um, It's the Pool of Bethesda. I don't know if you've ever read that story. It's an interesting one. Everybody knows that he's the guy who was sick for 38 years and could never make it down to the pool when the water stirred. And the way God writes this, the way this all goes down, you can't help but think that this isn't some sort of sexual sin that he's gotten involved in. You can't help but think, and and I'm trying not to read too much into it, but the way it goes down... It's, it's, a, it's a disease of some kind, it's like a transmitted disease, it seems like. And I'll, and I'll explain to you. He, 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 Jesus shows up on the site, and everybody's scrambling to get down to the water, and this man is in the back, and he says to the man, do you want to be made well? And he says, well, I, I, and he gives him the reasons why he can't be made well. I can't get down there in time. Everybody beats me before. Well, everybody reading the story says, well, why aren't you down by the edge of the water then? Why are you clear up here at the top of the porch? 
What makes you think you're going to beat all the people that are waiting right down by the water? You're clear up here. Something tells me, maybe you think you've got it coming to you. Well, I'd get healed if I could get down there in time. But we don't know that. Well, Jesus says, I want to make you better. Take up your bed and walk. And he was immediately healed up there at the top, not near the water, and was able to pick up his bed and walk. Now, while he's walking away and Jesus leaves his company, that's all they said to one another. The Pharisees find this guy, the Sadducees, the religious rulers say, who told you on this Sabbath day you could carry your bed? He says, well, the guy that healed me said I could. He goes, well, who was that? He says, I didn't get his name. And this is where the story, I think, gets interesting. He walks into the temple to thank God for the healing. Jesus is there. And Jesus comes up to him and says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, John chapter 5, verse 14, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Pretty bold thing to say to someone, you know. Before we've got blind people being healed, no big deal, you know. It's a big deal, but it's not their fault. Here he indicates maybe it was. Don't sin anymore, lest something worse comes upon you. After this encounter with Jesus, after Jesus tells him, like he told the woman at the well, to sin no more, he goes and finds the religious rulers and said, that's the guy that healed me, knowing full well why they wanted to know who it was. It's like he's mad. I'm reading into this, I know. Text doesn't tell us that, but what other reason would there be? Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon me. Is that Jesus guy over there? He's the one that healed me. You know, that's how I read that anyway. Maybe so, maybe not. Uh, you have no idea what this night with this woman, this one night with this woman, is going to cost you. It's going to cost him his life. It's going to take everything away from him. The thing you thought was going to be a one night hidden thing in the dark where no one would know has now become a part of you that has struck your liver. And you're now carrying it with you the rest of your life. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you may have gone down this road, been by her house, are carrying it with you to this day. Understand this before you go home. You are forgiven of your sins in Jesus Christ. If you are saved and born again, understand that. You've been made new. Old things are passed away. All things are new for you now. Okay, You start now. You start with your walk with Jesus. It's a new life. You're a new creation in him. Okay, but for the sake of those that haven't gone down this road, we have to talk about this this morning. Stay away from this woman's house. Stay away from this man's house. You have no idea the one night thing ends up costing you your life and affecting every other person that you'll ever be with. Hopefully just one more woman, your wife, or just one more man, but you bring that into the marriage. And now they have to deal with not just your sin was only going to affect me, didn't hurt, cause anybody else any harm. Does now, doesn't it? What's she supposed to do with you the rest of her life? Abstain or submit, enjoy, and take on the burden as well. Getting pretty deep for a Sunday morning, I know. I know. Getting pretty graphic. It's important though. It's important to know these things aren't one-night things. These are very dangerous things, and they do harm. 
long-lasting, can even carry over to children. Talk about the innocent getting hurt, you know. Verse 24. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. It doesn't just hit the weak, it's the strong, and you can see why. It doesn't matter how strong you are. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. I'm going to close with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? It isn't a choice to go down by her road. You don't get to do that. The scripture does apply, especially to his children. Very important. And finally, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Remember what you're here for. Not to experiment and to go down every road that you can go down, go to every house that you could go to. None of that. Parents, your kids do not have to go through that season in their life, maybe like you did. That isn't normal. Normal is biblical. Normal is godly. Normal is holy. Just because you went down that road, repent of it, first of all. Don't ever go down that road again. But also, don't put that on your kids to say, well, you'll need to go down this road too, because they don't have to. It's not normal. It's worldly. It's common, but it isn't what God expects of his kids. Teach them to wait, to not awaken love too soon. We awaken love too soon in this country, way too soon. I remember our kids growing up, seven, eight, five, six years old, coming into a relative. Who's your girlfriend? Who's your boyfriend? They don't have one. They don't have one. They shouldn't have one. Why are you teaching them that? Why are you awakening love? Why are you causing them to look like that at the other sex so early? You know, I get worried when they turn 14 or 15 because they're thinking about marriage and they're starting to look at kids the other way. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't get married for another three years. What are you going to do with those feelings for three years or more? How are you going to abstain? How are you going to keep yourself pure when you've awakened it? Now you've got to do self-discipline for five to six years until you're married. What a horrific thing to put on somebody. And then as parents, we say, well, you know, Things happen. Mm -mm. Don't awaken love too soon. Focus on the Lord. Focus on the things of God. Focus on the eternal. All this is temporary. All that lust, all the things that our body appetites uh, bring into uh, our lives, it's all temporary. None of that carries over into heaven. None of that. We're not even married in heaven. I don't know if you know that or not. 
Nobody is. It's a temporary thing. Don't awaken love too soon. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We do pray, as JC prayed, that this would change our thinking. We've become so indoctrinated, so saturated with this world and its thinking and its ideas and its ways that we've even brought this Egypt into Christianity and it shouldn't be there. It's not a part of it. It's not a part of our walk with you. God, I pray that you would bless marriages. I pray that there would be monogamy. I pray that there would be um, one man and one woman as it was intended from you from the beginning. Their eyes would be focused on each other and not on anybody else. They'd never wander. That's our heart, Lord. I pray that for our kids, even in this room this morning, that they wouldn't know love until they meet the one that you have for them, that you would bring them Eve, that you would bring them uh, Rachel, Lord. Sarah, Rebecca, any of these gals, Lord. That you would bring them, Lord. And that they would see, this is the one for me. That they go into that marriage pure. That they go into that relationship without any baggage or anything that they have to share with their spouse, God. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the intensity of your word, the honesty of your word, the purity of your word, and the love that you have for us to share something like this with us. How important it is to have these moments and these talks with us. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you bless these folks as they go today. I pray that their week would be a wonderful week of hope, of love, of joy, of patience, of diligence, and gentleness, and kindness, and long-suffering, and a wonderful relationship with those around them, and opportunities to share your love with them and your word with them, God. I bet we'll get a chance to use this this week. Help us to be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope which lies within us and your word that you shared with us this morning. With boldness, Lord, the world needs light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.